Hey, Reach Paramount, welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. Before you sit down, why don't you turn around and tell someone you're in the right place at the right time right now. All right, you can be seated this morning. We're glad you're here and uh, just enjoyed ourselves at the nine o'clock service and looking forward to this service and welcome all of those online. Uh, we've been streaming our services at nine and today it's at 11, so uh, we'll see who, who gets online with us, but we're excited uh, to be here together. And again, welcome all of you. We've been talking on a new series uh, this month called Made for More in 2024. And what we're talking about is clarifying our vision as the church and as an individual, the vision that Christ has for us as individuals and the vision that God has for the church in general. And we're really talking about vision because it's so important. In fact, I'm gonna read a scripture and then I'm gonna pray because everything we do is based on vision that God has for his church and for our personal lives. And so in Proverbs 29, verse 18, it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Another version says, where there is no vision, the people scatter. Where there is no purpose, people run to and fro. So I wanna pray as we dive into this message today. So Father, we thank you today for the vision that you had for our lives today, that God, you desire us to be men and women of God. You desire us, God, to be closer to you. So I just pray today, God, that you'd open our hearts, our minds to receive the word, remove every distraction, help us to put our hearts and minds upon you today. I pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit as I declare your word and let the people hear the voice that is behind the voice in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. And so I was talking about how all of us are in stages of maturity, especially a baby. Uh, babies are beautiful, but if you, if you didn't know any better, you would think that babies, all they do, their purpose is to eat, sleep, cry, and poop. Every day, eat, sleep, cry, and poop. And really, in those beginning stages, that's all that baby's doing. But we know that the vision for that baby is eventually that baby matures, that baby grows up into an adult like you and I, and we see the vision and purpose for their lives. And so God had the vision for us as the church, as the family. In fact, Jesus died to give birth to the church. And I believe his desire, the heart of God, is for a church that is in unity. Unity is the core of how God wants us to experience life together in the church. How can we have unity? How can we have harmony? In fact, the Bible talks more about unity than about heaven and hell put together. So God wants us to learn how do we do community Together, How do we experience this unity here on this earth? And there's a scripture out of Psalm 133. It says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. 
Do you know that you can dwell together but not necessarily in unity? There's a lot of marriages like that. They dwell together but they're not in unity. You could be at a job. You guys can work together but there's no unity. There could be a football team. They work together but there's no unity. I won't name who they are. One team's in Las Vegas. But another thing is this. Nothing is more valuable to God than his church in unity. The Bible tells us again that Christ died to give birth to the church. Look at what it says in Ephesians 5.25. Just as Christ loved the church, he loves the church, and he gave up his life for her. In other words, God loves his church. A lot of people say, well, I love God, but I hate the church. It's like saying, I love you, but I hate your wife. Because the bride is the church of Christ. And he loves his bride. He loves his church. And so one of the last prayers that Jesus made before going to the cross is very important. How many know your last words before death are very important? And yet you could read this whole chapter in chapter, uh, John chapter 17. And Jesus prays this prayer. And you know what his prayer is about? It's about unity. So that means unity must be important. And this is what he says in John chapter 17, verse 20. Jesus prayed this prayer. He said, I'm praying for all of who will believe in me. In other words, I'm, I'm praying even for the future. Because of my disciples' testimony, my prayer for them is they'll be unified as one. Father, just as you and I are one, may they be unified and united as one. I think as the human parent, we want our children, our family to get along. Am I right? want your kids to get along. You're, you want that. God desires that the church, the family of God, function and be united. That is his heart. That is his desire. I don't have time to go into every part in Scripture where Jesus prayed for the church and prayed that the church would be united. Now, here's what I want to talk about today is what's my part, what's your part in bringing unity in the church? Because all of us are supposed to be agents of unity. All of us are supposed to be contending for unity. In fact, Jesus paid the highest price so that the church could be united. That means he wants it protected. He wants the church to be protected from any kind of damage that comes from division or conflict or disharmony. And so we're supposed to be an agent of unity, not a double agent of disunity. So sometimes there's double agents in the church. And we got to say, hey, hold on a second. You're, you're sowing disunity here. You're, you don't have the right spirit. See, you're commissioned by Jesus to do everything to preserve unity. You're supposed to protect the fellowship, promote unity, not disunity. When somebody is promoting disunity, they're not of God. And I'll show you various scriptures in the Bible that back up what I'm saying. So, number one, what is our part? Our part is this. Number one, write this down if you're taking notes. Focus on what we have in common or what we share in common and not in our differences. Focus on what we share in common and not in our differences. Because there's a lot of differences between us. 
We look different. We talk different. All of us have different personalities. But the scripture clearly tells us not to focus on the differences, but to focus on what we have in common. In fact, uh, Romans 14 verse 19 says, let us concentrate on the things which create harmony. Let us concentrate on the things that create harmony and on the growth of our fellowship together. So what does it mean to concentrate? It means to focus. It means to give your full attention, not to casually think about it, but it's saying to intentionally be focused on what? Unity. What things create unity? What, what can create a unity between my church family, between my brothers and sisters in Christ? What can create this kind of a bond? Because all of us are different. Like I said earlier, we look different. Uh, we come from different backgrounds. Uh, we're different sizes and shapes. Have you noticed that? Uh, we're different genders. Uh, we come from different races. We have different pro uh, backgrounds. I said last week that we all are shaped by our past. Thank God we're not prisoners of our past. But we all come from different backgrounds and different places. But the Bible says, don't focus on that. Focus on the things that we have in common. In fact, Ephesians chapter 4 gives us a number of things that we have in common. Look at what it says. There's only one body. There's only one spirit. And we've been called to one hope. There's only one Lord. One faith. One baptism and only one God who is the father of us all, who is over all and is through all and is in all. So the Bible is telling us here we're one body. In other words, there's one church of Christ. I know there's multiple congregation, but we are all under one church. Bible says one spirit. We've all been given the same Holy Spirit. The moment you gave your life to Christ at salvation, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. We all have one hope, this hope of the second coming of Jesus Christ. He didn't stay dead. He rose again, and he's coming back again. He promises to return. And the Bible says we have one Lord. We don't have multiple gods. In other words, he's just one Lord, one faith. That faith is contained in the Word of God, not multiple books, not added books, just one Bible. And it says one baptism. That baptism symbolizes the death, all right, the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're going to have a baptism next week, next Sunday. We're going to baptize people because they're making a public confession of their faith in Christ. So why, what, what is the symbol of baptism? It's like a wedding ring. It's an outward expression of your vows and commitment to, to each other, while baptism is an outward expression of our commitment to God. And so when we do a public confession, it's publicly acknowledging that. We have a water baptism tank that we bring up right here in the front. Don't worry, it's warm water. Next Sunday, it's supposed to be like 75, so don't worry about walking out in the cold. It should be 75 degrees, but the water is going to be warm, and we're, going to, we're believing God for many of you to get baptized, make a public confession. If you haven't been baptized, maybe you've given your life to Christ, but you've never been baptized, or maybe you were baptized when you were a baby, you didn't know what you were doing, but now you do. 
Get baptized. Make that public confession before God. Is that all right? And so there are things that God wants us to focus on, not our personal differences. It's important to remember that because all of us are different. We have different personalities. We come from different backgrounds. There are different races, uh, uh, different cultures. Uh, uh, many of us, we have different uh, uh, preferences, different personalities, all kinds of differences in how we look. Some of us have more hair than others. I'm losing mine. And so all of these things. So we're not supposed to focus on the differences. We're supposed to celebrate the differences. I said, let's celebrate the differences. Uh, many of you already know this, but I come, of, uh, I come from a family. There's seven brothers all together. And all of us brothers, man, we're all different. But I've learned how to appreciate the differences in my brother, they have different perspectives, were different ages, uh, uh, different eras that they were born in, and they look at things differently. And I often, when we get together uh, as a family, we get together and we talk and we share, and I just appreciate the differences. I celebrate it. I don't make it cause division. Are you with me? It's something that I said, probably why I enjoy pastoring, because I enjoy the differences of people. I enjoy from different backgrounds, different cultures, different things. And we're talking about unity, not uniformity. Unity versus uniformity. Uniformity, uniformity says we all have to look alike. We all have to speak the same way. And so if you're saying, well, I just want everybody to be like me. Sorry, God didn't do it that way. He made us all different. In fact, if God did it, that means he knows what he's doing. Uh, a lot of you say, well, he made a mistake. God don't make mistakes. Uh, the way your perspective is a mistake. God wants us to celebrate the differences. So it's not uniformity. Let's celebrate them. Don't, don't let them divide us. Because I've seen people, they allow the differences to divide them, and they don't realize, you you know, it's the differences that we should be celebrating. Uh, many people say, well, the differences irritate me. Well, you got to learn how to love people. you got to learn how to uh, reach out to people. you got to learn how to celebrate the difference. Can you say amen? See, I'll be honest with you. If you have a conflict with that, it's usually a sign of your immaturity. It's because you're focusing on the less important issues than what you should be focusing on the common issues. In fact, the book of Romans chapter 14 talks about this because Paul is saying, hey, let's all agree that Jesus is the Son of God. Let's all agree that Jesus rose again. Let's not dispute out of secondary issues, things that really don't matter. He says in Romans 14, 1, he says, you must accept all fellow believers, even the weak ones, without arguing, without judging them for their difference of opinion. So what he's saying is not everybody's going to think the same way as you. Doesn't mean it should cause division. It should cause us to reach out. It said, look at Romans 14, 1, says it this way, welcome with open arms in the Message Bible, fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. And then it says, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. Everybody has their own history. And so what we begin to focus is we say, man, this person has far to go. Rather than saying, no, look how far they've already come. 
We're, all, we're, all, we're saying, man, they, they, you know, they got a long way to go. No, thank God. Look at how far they've come. You didn't know them before they got there. It's a miracle that they're here. You go, oh, look at that. Look at this. And you're looking at all the outward. Man, look how far they've come, not how far they have to go. And if we're not careful, we're judging on the outside. You don't even know their history. You don't even know their background. You don't even know what they've gone through. You don't know what kind of life. You know, some people, that they grew up in a hard life. It's a miracle they're here. Just because you grew up in a good life, celebrate the differences. Don't get all, you know, maybe you, maybe you came from a wealthy family. They came from a poor family. But we're all the family of God. And so if we're not careful, we begin to look at people in a different way. We begin to judge people on the outside. And then we kind of dismiss people because we look at them from the outside and we say, oh, look how far they have to go rather than how far they've already come. So stop asking what's wrong with this person. You ought to start asking what happened to this person. Especially when they respond in a different way, when they react to a different way. People have gone through trauma in their life. This is what I've learned. Hurt people hurt people. When people come off on me, I say, oh, this person's been hurt in their life. That's why they don't trust leadership. When people get all worked up out of nothing, I go, oh, no, this person's been really hurt in their life. They need God. They need God to help them through this time in their life. That's why they have a trouble with authority. That's why they have trouble with leadership. Stop asking what's wrong with them. Maybe you should be asking what happened to them. What caused this to happen in their life? 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, let there be real harmony. Say real. real. So that there is no division in the church. Let there be real harmony. He goes, I plead with you. He goes, I'm pleading with you. I'm begging you to be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. So he's pleading what? For to us to be united in purpose. He says, get a passion, get a heart to, for unity, for one mind, and to be of one purpose. So I've got uh, this bowl here of M&Ms. They haven't been sitting out long. We poured it out on here. And so I need someone to come up here and eat one of these M&Ms. Who can I have come up here? All right. Make your way over here. There you go. We got Neff here. Give her a hand. Stand right there, Neff. Well, come up a little closer. There you go, right there. Okay. So I'm going to have you eat one of these. You're not allergic to peanuts, right? Okay. I didn't ask the other guy before that. Carlos, you're okay back there. Yeah, you ate one. Okay. <laughs> Last thing we know is all of a sudden he's get, his eyes are getting swollen. He ate a peanut. These are peanut M&Ms, so you're okay with that. All right. So as you can see, there's different colors. You got pink here, white, and that red, kind of red color, right? Okay, I want you to close your eyes, Neff. And I want you to reach out and grab one of these M&Ms. Just, just get one. And I want you to eat it. Keep your eyes closed. How does that taste? That chocolatey? What were you tasting there? Chocolatey? All right. Nutty? You can open your eyes. Can you tell me what color you ate? Can you tell me what color it was? Go. But it was good, huh? Because it didn't matter what was on the outside, it's what's on the inside. Give Neff a big hand. (laughs) 
so my point is, is these M&Ms, there's ones like real tiny, small. And then you got like these deformed ones, like a little warped ones, <laughs> like it got damaged. Man, it's nothing like the TV, huh? This one's a little oval, you know. There's some that are kind of, like, kind of fat a little bit on one side. I mean, it's got a variety here. But you know what? When you're eating them, you don't care. Because it's what's on the inside that counts. The church of God, it's not what's on the outside of people. It's what's on the inside of people. Don't look at the differences on the outside. Look at the commonness in the inside. Number two, write this down. Realize that you have to continually work at unity. You have to work at unity. It's not something that just happens. You have to work. I've, I've said this statement all the time. It takes work to make it work. Just like a marriage. It takes work to make it work. If you ever see good marriages, if you've ever been around someone that had the good marriage, can I tell you something? They're working. Takes a lot of work. They don't just say, oh, yeah, it's so easy. Oh, man, we just got married and we just get along. We never argue. Never happened in our whole life. They're lying. If you see a good marriage, people getting along, they're learning to live with each other, they're working at it. It takes work to make it work. It's not an accident. Harmony just doesn't happen. It's intentional. You have to work at it. Look at what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. He said, make every, every effort should be, how can we be united? He said, bind yourself together. Bind yourself. Living in peace with each other. You've heard this, teamwork makes the dream work. And so again, all of us working together, this is one of our values. If you walked in the hallway, you will see that defining and aligning. We're working together in collaboration with one another with the spirit of unity. Unity happens when it's intentional. It's something I've got to make happen. When there's conflict, I don't gripe and gossip and leave. I work at it. I make an effort. Because let me just tell you, division will always destroy the vision. And so here's a couple of things you don't want to do is we really protect our church and we intentionally protect our church from these things. And number one is we protect our church from bringing a worldly values into the church. Now there's a lot of different values out there that are not godly. One of the values is that from the world that often broadened in the church is this idolizing of celebrities. Now, I'm not telling you not to watch, you know, TV or any of that. I'm not saying that. But what happens is we get so caught up in idolizing celebrity. It's a celebrity culture. Even you see people, even today, they're trying to, you know, be, you know, get a lot of followers. And you got, you know, these young kids and all these people, they're working for an audience and you know, people have become a product rather than a person, right? And so you got all these actors and politicians, everybody trying to package and produce this package where everybody will follow them. And, and really, you know, they, they, they want to portray a reputation. They're long on reputation, but they're short in character. 
See, let me tell you the difference between reputation and character. Reputation is what people think you are. Character is who you are when no one's looking. That's the difference. And so you have this fame, people looking for fame, people looking for popularity, and then, you know, people have personality preferences, they, they, they like prestige, and what begins to happen is that begins to creep into the church, and the church begins to make preferences, and it causes a lot of conflict in the church, and they're giving their loyalty to people rather than to Christ. And if we're not careful, we say, well, I like this leader, but I don't like that leader. That's my guy. That's my girl. That's, that's, who, that's who I belong with. And you know what Paul said? Paul rebukes that. Paul rebukes his spirit. He said, we're not showing favoritism over different leaders and all of that. We're not going to do that. And look at what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2. You're acting in the same way unbelievers act in the world. The proof of your immaturity is you're arguing and you're quarreling, he says, and the divisions you've created. Whenever you find division, quarreling, arguing, the people there are what? Immature. And he said, it still proves that you still belong to the world and that you're living what? By the world's values. So when we allow division in the church, where we're favoring one leader over another, or we're pitting, trying to pit one leader over another leader, that's not of God. Look at what Paul says. He goes on to say, one of you said, I support Paul. Another one said, I support Apollos. And then he says, you're acting like unbelievers, not like Christ. He said, is Paul important? No. Or Apollos important? No. Is Paul important? No. So he says, you know what? Be careful. Yet you're not dividing the church of God because now you're pitting one leader against another leader. You're saying, oh, I like this assistant pastor. I don't like that one. Oh, I like when he preaches. I don't like when he doesn't preach. Or they go to someone and say, how come you're not a leader? You, you, you preach better than everybody else. That's division. Oh, man, why don't you go start a church? We'll follow you. I'll get everybody. That's division. That's not of God. And let me warn you, it's not going to work here. We'll call you out in a second. I'll tell you that right now. Not going to work in this church. We'll expose it real quick. You're not going to pit one pastor against another pastor. You're not going to pit one leader against another leader. It's not going to work here at Reed Church. Somebody say amen, and I warn you, don't try it. You'll be confronted really quick. Hallelujah. Don't get sucked in. To the world's fights. This is what Paul is trying to teach us here. Don't get sucked into this division and this arguing and this one thing after one person going after another person. He said all of these things are foolish. Let me tell you another thing that begins to happen that can cause division is when we get too political and not spiritual. Do you know that, the, that Jesus didn't talk very much about politics? He didn't say a whole lot. He really didn't. I mean, when I read the Bible, there's only a few statements. And one of them is this. Look at what he says in Mark 8.15. Be careful. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. So he said, beware. Yeast is what causes the bread to rise. He said, beware. Don't get this religious spirit about you. 
The Pharisees were religious. They, were, they, they did a lot of outward things, but their heart was corrupt. Then Herod represents politics, government. He said, beware of all of that. He said, beware of this religious mindset, this political mindset. I'm not, uh, again, you, you can vote whoever you want. I'm not going to be up here telling you who to vote for, who not to vote for. You vote whatever issues you, you believe in and all of that. We're not, we're not into that. We're not, and you're not going to get me to do that. Are you hearing me? I, I'm here to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's one Lord, one King. That's who I'm preaching about. We're not going to be here promoting one political party over another. Did you hear me? We're here to preach Jesus. And this is when we look in Scripture. It really, when it comes to morals, it's really the Bible is backed up. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't even get political at all. In fact, you know what Jesus said in John 18, 36? He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If, I, if it were my serve, if it were my servants would fight. So some Christians, you're fighting about secondary issues. Issues that don't matter. Issues that are away from the Bible. You got these, these Christians that are trolling, you know, these spiritual trolls. They try to follow and, and make a comment. They only comment when you say something controversial. And they, you got a lot of these Christians that like to argue a lot. They're addicted to anger. There's something wrong with these guys, man. They're trying to pull you in. Don't get baited into arguments. Don't get baited into foolish quarreling. This is what Paul was saying. He even tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid argument. Is that not clear or what? To don't be, don't be, he goes, the, he goes, then he says, the Lord's servants, what, must never quarrel. Don't get into this quarrel. He said, you must be kind. Instead, be kind to everybody. He said, be able to teach, and, and he said, able to teach and patient, whatever. You must be humble, gently teaching those who oppose the truth. So don't get into arguments. Don't get baited into arguments. These are all secondary issues. I've heard of people getting into secondary issues with people. Even in this church, don't get pulled into that. We're not going to go there. People try to pull me aside. I go, I don't get in that foolish argument. I'm not involved in that. I, I, no, I don't listen to that guy. You listen to this YouTube guy. I don't even know who that guy is. And, and we get into, we get pulled in all these different things. It's nothing new. In fact, secondary issues were the problem in the Roman church. And in the book of Romans, the Bible says in Romans chapter 20, one of the things that they were arguing was food. You know, in and out is better than uh, five guys. I don't know, you know. They were getting involved in food. You know, some food was sacrificed, and you know, they got involved, and it was splitting the church, and they were in conflict over rules. And you know what Paul finally says? I love what he says. Romans 12, 20. Don't tear apart the work of God over a rule about food. He said, don't get into issues about things that don't matter. You know, we get, well, you know, I, I, I watch sports and this guy doesn't watch. Don't get involved. So if you watch a sport and you don't, it doesn't matter. I don't believe in going to the gym. Then don't go to the gym. <laughs> Who's telling you to go there? You know, I don't believe in doing it. Okay, well, we're not going to be worried about that. Well, I don't eat that kind of food. Well, don't eat it. I don't care. Doesn't matter. You want to eat vegetables? Go ahead. You want to eat pork? It doesn't matter to me. I'm not fighting that. 
you know, again, we're not going to let things happen. You know, hey, you're rooting for a certain team, a certain team that's always making promises that they're going to go to the Super Bowl, and they never go. <laughs> they're always losing the playoffs. I'm not going to name the team. I'm just going to name the city. <laughs> Dallas. But anyway, these are secondary issues. These are secondary issues. These are issues that don't matter. We're not going to talk about those issues today. We're talking about the Word of God, right? We're not going to allow that conflict to divide us. And this is what Paul is saying. He said, don't let those issues divide us. I like what he says here. 1 Corinthians 3, 2 says, I have fed you with milk, not solid food for you, because you're not even mature enough yet. You're not mature enough to die yesterday. You're acting in a church the same way unbelievers act in the world. He said, this proof of your immaturity, your arguing, quarreling, and the vision you created proves you still belong to the world and you're living by worldly values. We can't not get involved in those things. We can't allow ourselves to get sucked into those things. Stick to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He died, rose again, and he's coming back again. That's what I'm going to be talking about. The third thing that will help us, what is our part in creating harmony? What is our part in being an agent of unity? I believe is having a realistic expectation of the church. Many of us have unrealistic expectations of what the church should look like. To expect any church to always do everything perfectly right is a fantasy. You're filled with a church of imperfect people. How could you expect it to be perfect? I don't get it. Well, you know, those people from church, exactly, they're just like you, imperfect. Well, they failed me here. Yeah, you failed people too. Yeah, I didn't, you know, they didn't do this. Well, you don't do it either. It's like a marriage. I mean, have you got that? There's, a marriage is the same way. You know, I, I, I'm a sinner. My wife's a sinner. She married a bigger sinner than me. And, and so somehow God works in it. I like what it says about a marriage. I've read this quote. A perfect marriage. Listen to me for those that are married. A perfect marriage is just two imperfect people who won't give up on each other. Am I right? Two imperfect people. The perfect marriage is two imperfect people who just won't give up on each other. I believe that's the church of God. The church is people, imperfect people, who won't give up on each other. Hallelujah. Psalm 119.96 says, Nothing is perfect. Accept your word. So everything in this world is broken. The weather, the, our bodies, our economy, everything is broken. But God's word is perfect. So to expect perfection in your church is to set yourself up for disappointment. Well, I didn't expect that. I, exactly, you shouldn't have expected that. Well, I didn't, you know, I, I'm surprised. Well, why are you surprised? They're imperfect people. Now, do you realize that you can still have a healthy church and an imperfect church. It's like you can have healthy children, but they're not perfect children. My children are healthy, but they're not perfect. My grandkids are healthy. You should see the littlest one. She's very healthy. She eats anything, but she's not perfect. They're healthy, 
but they're not perfect. All of us here today, we may be healthy, but we're not perfect. And then when you start listening to these guys on YouTube about what the church should be like, they're talking about a family. What church is that? Where is that church at? Well, the church should do this and the church should do that. Where is that church that you're talking about? Where is that? They, they talk about, and then if you're not careful, you start reading books about what the church should look like in the modern world. And then what happens when you don't see that in reality, then you become more cynical. Well, I don't go to church because, you know, that's not the church of the Bible. What does the church of the Bible look like? Do you realize that all the books in the Bible that Paul wrote, he was writing to churches that were having problems? The book of Corinthians is a, a church that was having all kinds of issues, so Paul had to write a letter to them. Paul had to write a letter to the Romans. He had to write a letter to the Galatians. All these people were in different churches. Paul was writing letters to them. That's why we have the Bible, because it's a bunch of imperfect people that God had brought together. Amen. And God loves his church, and he wants us to be united. We're going to have to be able to, you know what, forgive each other. We're going to have to be able to overlook some of our faults for one another. Did you hear me? We're going to have to realize that everybody is a different place of maturity in their walk with God. Everybody is. They're in a different place of maturity in their walk with God. Even, even the church. I, I've been pastoring the church this year. My wife and I will be pastoring this church 35 years. You believe that? 35 years of pastoring. I came here when I was 24 years old. And I don't even look a day over 25. And that's not true. I had a lot more hair, I was a lot more younger, a lot more slimmer, a lot of things, different, different things have come. But you know, I have loved the church at every stage. I've loved the church when we had 20 people, when we had 40 people, 50 people, 100, 200, 300. I've loved the church in every stage. But I've always seen that, you know what, we're not where we need to be, but I'm going to enjoy where we're at. I know that we still have a long ways to go, but that's okay. God has brought us from a long way. And so on every stage, I've enjoyed my church, your church, at every stage of maturity, of growth. I didn't say, oh, man, we only got 20 people, a bunch of derelicts. They're no, they're no good. I got the dirty dozen. They're terrible. You know, I didn't, I didn't say that. I love the church. Every stage, I've loved it. I've always said, you know what? We could do better, though. I still say that. We're good, but we could do better. But I'm not caught up in the better. I know what God wants, where God wants us to be, but I'm glad where we're at. It's like your children. When your children come to you, let's just say your three-year-old, when they come to you with a scribbled uh, colored paper and you say, oh, that's beautiful, honey. Well, for her age of maturity, it is beautiful. But if she's 25 years old and she brings you that, you go, oh, we got problems here. Oh. That is not beautiful. You're 25 years old. You still haven't learned how to color yet? I mean, come on. This is a little ridiculous here, right? You love them at every stage of their maturity, right? And you love them at every point of their growth. So again, believers will disappoint you, but don't let that be an excuse to stop coming to church. Well, I don't go to church because this person did that. You're one of them. 
Uh, you know, this person did that. They're supposed to be the church. You're supposed to be the church too. I mean, come on, look in the mirror. And, and so we use that to stop coming to church. I read this quote. I'm going to read it to you. To live above with saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with saints we know, that's a different story, right? Ephesians chapter 4 said, be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. So it's saying that we are going to have faults. Don't be disillusioned that people have faults. He said, be able to give some room for that. Give able to give some room. Sometimes we hurt each other in, unintentionally. Have you ever hurt someone unintentionally? You didn't know? You said something about some, something that you didn't realize was in their life, and you said it not knowing that it hurt them? Or you walk by somebody and you didn't see them and they thought you ignored them. That happens to me every time. Oh, pastor, ignore me. I didn't even see you. But you look right at me. I wasn't even looking at you. I was looking at the guy behind you. And I was thinking, I need to go talk to that guy. And so if I bypassed you, I was trying to talk to that guy. Not that I was ignoring you, but that person got hurt. Oh, yeah, pastor walked right by me. He didn't say hi. I looked right up. I was smiling. He didn't. Yeah, I was focused on talking to that guy. Are you with me? And so we can hurt each other unintentionally. We're not purposely hurting each other, but unintentionally we can. But if we're not careful, you know, the first wrong that happened, we're divorcing. You ever seen people, they just divorced over anything? Oh, I'm divorced. I'm leaving the church. Oh, no, they, they, you know, first sign of disappointment, I'm leaving. You're disillusioned and immature, that's why. You're a serial divorcer. You divorce all the time. You need to learn how to love. You need to learn how to be an agent of unity. Somebody say, man, I'm preaching better than you're clapping. That's all right. Either that or I'm exposing something in your life. Colossians 3.14, most of all, let love guide your life. For then the whole church, what, will stay together in perfect harmony. Are you being led by love? 1 Peter 4.8 says, love each other as if your life depended on it. And number four, and this is where I want to get to right here. If you want to be an agent of unity, learn how to serve others. Man, there is something powerful when you learn how to serve other people. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. Jesus said in the book of Mark chapter 10, he goes, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, learn how to serve others other people throughout the scripture we are commanded to serve in fact you know what ministry is service you say I want to be a minister okay then you want to serve because that's what ministry is it's serving a Christian that doesn't serve is a contradiction we came to serve Human nature says, I want people to focus on me. I want people to serve me. You need to learn how to serve others. You came here at 11 o'clock, but can I tell you, people were here by 7 o'clock this morning. People swept the walkway out there because there was water. People put up canopies outside for people to eat and all around. There are people here cleaning the church and vacuuming a few days ago. 
And some came vacuuming today if there's something was out of place. They came, they were in the kitchen getting food together. There was a media team here. They did worship practice here. By 7.30, we had a whole worship team up here with all our media team or all of our sound team was here. You didn't know that. Teachers are here. There's teachers back there that are serving. All of that so that you could be in the house of God and enjoy what God's doing right here because there are people that love you and want to serve you. Thank God for those people. I cannot pastor this church without people that are serving here. It's impossible. I get to do what I'm doing because there are others that are serving here and making this church possible. Do you realize that you've been gifted to serve? Look at what it says in 1 Peter 4.10. God has given each of you some special ability. Be sure to use your ability, what? To help each other. Another version said, each of you have received a gift to use to serve other people. Whatever giftings you have, you're supposed to use them for God. How can you serve other people? We have people that serve in our ushers ministry. We have people that are serving in our Sunday school ministry. Again, we have people serving on our media. They do the camera, the live stream. We have people that serve on our sound. People that are serving in our cafe. People that serve in our administration, our office. People that serve in our leadership, that do connect groups on Friday night. The people that are here on the worship team that are serving here. We have so many places. And then you can come in here and say, well, everything's taken up. There's no room for me. Baloney. Let me tell you why. We, the reason why you see everything covered, because we have people that are involved in three or four ministries. We have leaders here. They do connect group on Friday night. They're here ushering today. Some are even working in the ministry in Sunday school. Yeah, it's awesome they do that. But you know what? It'd be great if somebody else would step in and help. Like you. You would sign up today and say, you know what? I want to be a part. How can I help? I want to be part of unity. I want to serve. I want to help out. And How can I help? A church this large, we have 150 people serving, we need more. Now when we talk about serving, we're not talking about being a volunteer, we're talking about it's a calling. Service is a calling because Jesus called us to serve. And I tell you, the greatest way that we can have unity is when we're serving each other. When we serve each other. When I come to this church, I wanna serve you the word of God. I want to serve the Word of God to you in such a practical way that you can put it into practice tomorrow, today, later. That you'll remember this message. You'll remember those M&Ms. Next time you have a pack of M&Ms, you'll remember, man, there's no different. We all have the same thing in common. It's in the inside that counts, not the outside. I want us to learn. And so today, we're going to have that today. Here's what the Bible says, and I'm going to leave this last scripture, 1 Corinthians 12, 27. All of you together are one body of Christ, and each of you is a separate, what, and necessary part of it. You want to know what your part is? You have a part in this body, and every one of you is valuable. Every one of you has a part. The Bible says, man, you don't tell your body, hey, I don't need this pinky no more, or I don't need this thumb anymore. You need that. Oh, you know, go ahead and cut off the ear. I don't need that one. I got another one. 
You want everything is valuable, am I right? Everything is valuable. You're valuable. No matter how small or how big, you play a role in this church. And you help keep the unity of God. So I'm going to pray today. Why don't we bar our heads and remember? Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com slash give.